Hey, Forge family. God bless you today. Before we begin episode number 14 in 1 Peter, I want to look back. Uh, the Apostle Peter knows that there is more suffering and more attack on the family of faith that meets in the worship, they meet and they worship in these house churches in the provinces of Central Asia Minor. Peter knows that the, the cult of Caesar worship is rising in the West. And the orders have been dispatched to the legions who are in the East to enforce this idolatry in Asia Minor. So Peter has urged in his preaching here in this passage, in this circular letter, he's urging that those believers present in those house churches in, in Asia Minor on that highway that ran from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea he urges them to arm themselves to do the will of God. Now, what might that will of God be? Well, obviously, we pray and we serve and we call on him for wisdom and we act as he tells us to do. So not only are the Romans pushing in on, on these, these believers with false worship, but the pagan population around the gatherings of believers in Christ, they're the ones who get offended that their neighbors, the Christians, don't follow, don't join in with their gross debauchery. Now, Peter wants those believers to know, to be assured that even death does not remove them from Jesus. Now, Forge family and, and others who are gathered around this podcast, let's pray. Okay? Before we start, we need to pray and say, Lord... Uh, bind that stuff to our hearts and get us ready to receive. So, Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for the anomaly in the nation of the United States, the historical anomaly that for the last 240 years, our forefathers have not suffered religious persecution. Some cults have, some, some separatist sort of semi-Christian you know, groups, Lord, have been persecuted, Lord. But by and large, those who serve and seek Jesus have gone without religious persecution. But now, today, we see our biblical values being eroded and our moral stands being shunned and even you know, you know, cursed, shamed, Lord. We see our children being indoctrinated in the public schools. And right now, Lord, we want to cry out to you. We call on heaven for armor to stand so that we endure, Lord, and so that we have grace while we're under fire. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to demonstrate your love, your ways, and your character. Lord, we want that within us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Forge. Uh, read with me 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. This is what it says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayers. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever speaks, whoever, excuse me, whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, family. In verse 7, the apostle Peter, he, he begins at the end, if you will. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Now, Paul, in Romans 13, says, the hour has come for us to be awakened. James, in chapter 5, verse 8 of his letter, it says, the com coming of the Lord is at hand. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.18 says, it is the last hour. So here you have three apostles and the brother of Jesus, all who taught that first century church, and it's, it's compiled in the scriptures that the return of the Lord was expected. It was soon. Now, for the last 2,000 years, we're pretty sure Jesus has not returned. So were those apostles and the brother of Jesus, were they wrong? Because for 2,000 years, those who have suffered greatly all have said, oh man, Jesus has to come and rescue us. He has to return to us. So let's read Psalms chapter 90, verse 4. Okay? Psalm 94 says, Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday, when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Okay? All of a sudden, we're, we're in, introduced to the fact that God doesn't operate on our linear time frame. He precedes time, and he exceeds time. He wraps time around. He's fully interactive with it, but he knows the end, and he knows the beginning, and he is greater than time itself. Now let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. It says this, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works shall be burned up. So, brothers and sisters, you know, here even Peter is sort of amending his statement by Holy Spirit, saying, look, uh, a day to the Lord is a thousand years. Psalm 90 said, it's, it's like yesterday. It's like, boop, gone, and it passes. So were those writers wrong? No. Okay? The Lord does not operate on our time schedule. But there's passion in this statement by Peter. Okay? And, and throughout church history, okay, you will see new doctrines launched in times of struggle and pain and suffering, where people just go, Lord, I don't get this. And so, for example, one is uh, the statement that, quote, Jesus has already come, unquote, which is a way of saying, you missed it. The rapture happened, the believers have been taken, and, and we are now suffering because 
You know, this has to be, this has to be uh, the tribulation period. It's so awful, okay? Well, we know that's not true, okay? Number two, there's the possibility that, quote, we haven't suffered enough yet. We haven't accomplished all that God has for us, unquote, okay? Where people say, oh, Lord, things are really, really bad, so you have to be coming right now. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Sometime ten in the last 10, 12 years, my son Ben was asked to travel with a man named Harold Eberly. Harold is a, a man who has written a book called Victorious Eschatology, and he's a very insightful guy. Harold and a team of people recognized that the church in Africa was exploding, that many hundreds of thousands and millions were coming to faith in Jesus, and there were not enough leaders for that gathering of the body of Christ. And so Harold and a team had gone through Africa in the decade previous to Ben's trip, and they had gone through to every market town on the highway that runs from Congo east. That's left to right on the map, folks. You know, from Congo to Rwanda to Kenya um, to Uganda, you know, Uganda to Kenya and all the way out to the Indian Ocean. Every market town on that highway, they planted a Bible college. And they set about the business of training Bible teachers and pastors and leaders for the church. But prior to this time, 10 years ago, a teaching had swept through the church of Central Africa that the coming of Jesus was imminent. And people needed to to abandon their business, abandon their homes, put on white garments, and go sit on the hill. And the church in Central Africa did it. The result was the market economies that they were intimately involved in collapsed. It was a financial and economic and governmental, and, and you know, it became lawless. Okay? There was a disaster in those towns. And Jesus did not return. And so as, as Harold was going through this, this bike, they drove by car from town to town. And in every, every market city, he would go to that Bible college and he would teach. This is not the time because of here and here and here in the scriptures. And yet the coming of Jesus was soon, just not yet. And the preparation was different than the church had taken on. Unfortunately, the non-believers in Central Africa who looked at that mocked it. Okay, And they learned not to trust what Christians had to say. And the church has to rebuild its, its credibility and its ministry in the midst of this. Second example is, in the last three decades, in the San Francisco Bay Area, there was a man named Harold Camping. And Harold had a... Um, a program called, on a on a FM radio station called Family Radio, and it crossed the it went to the nations. It crossed back and forth across the country. There are many radio stations that took his program, and Harold twice calculated the day and the hour that Jesus was going to return. Twice, and he missed it twice. Now we're going to see Harold in heaven. He's died. He's gone into the arms of Jesus, but he was wrong twice. But that stirred believers who listened to his programs to set up wrong priorities. So remember, 2 Peter 
3, verse 10. First part of that says that the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. When Jesus was questioned by his disciples saying, Lord, is now the time? Is now the time for the establishment of the kingdom? And Jesus said, no man knows but the Father. Even Jesus in his humanity was limited by his humanity to not know that answer. Now, the second half of chapter um, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore, okay, therefore in light of this statement that these are the end times, okay, therefore, since Jesus is at hand, paren, on his time schedule, close paren, okay, we are commanded, okay, just previous, we were told, be armed, be armed to do the will of God. Now he says, be sober, be collected, be centered, be calm in your spirit for the purpose of prayers. Now it's plural in the Greek. So, so what kind of prayers? What is it we're supposed to be praying in these, if you will, as the end of all things comes to pass? All right, we're told to pray for kings and leaders. Hey, look at the political system right now in the United States. And we should be on our knees praying for kings and leaders, if you will. Those who speak, if you will, as our representatives or those who desire to be our representatives. There's a desperate need for us to pray for them that they would turn to God for their answers and be changed by him. Okay, We're supposed to pray for the lost. We pray for the awakening of whole communities, families next door, and whole communities and states and nations. We're to pray, to be in prayer for our suffering brothers and sisters. The Boko Haram, the radical Muslim rebels, if you will, in Nigeria, have struck again. And our brothers and sisters in Nigeria have been, have been wounded and killed and taken into slavery. I mean, it's a wicked thing. We're to be praying for that. Okay, we're to pray for for those who suffer. We pray for healing and we pray for miracles. We're supposed to be praying for our personal preparation for his coming for us. Now, verse 8, okay, it says in first important, you know, know, Peter starts, he starts with saying, get yourself ready, be praying. But he says the first thing we need to do is be passionately loving, be deeply loving. He had, he He modifies that word agape. He wants it deep. He wants it passionate. He wants it poured out on other family members, the family of faith. You know, in a sacrificial way, just like the Lord God himself does. See, and when we we love like that, then there's a a consequence. But I want you first to hear the comment by um, this man named Edwin Blum. Edwin says, love is capable of being commanded. Get that? It's not an emotional thing. Love is capable of being commanded because it is not primarily an emotion, but a decision of the will leading to action. Amen to that. That's where you summon yourself and you say, I choose to love in the power of Jesus Christ. I choose to pour out the Lord's love here. Not because I have ooey-gooey feelings, okay? Not because I feel warmly disposed to do it, because it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> Let's read together Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. 
This is what it says. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So in contrast to strife being stirred up in the church, Peter comes back and says, your love, your willful choice to love and pour out sacrificial agape love on one another is going to cover and wipe away all kinds of mistakes and missing the mark and willful sin. Okay, that's where you step in privately with the breath. You can see the steam coming out his ears. He's ready to splatter somebody and you take him aside and with a gentle, direct, loving word, there's reproof and correction and the steam goes away. And then together, you go and act out the right choice in love. Another option might be, you know, you're quick to forgive and quick to forget. Both petty hurts. You know, the sharp word. You know, the cold shoulder. You know, and it's also, you know, sometimes we really hurt each other in church. You know, or we think we're hurt. We misunderstand and we think we're really hurt. Okay? Love like God loves, covers that. Maybe a third thing is, you know, where you love but you expect something in return. Okay, well, that's not agape. Okay, that's phileo. Okay, that's conditional, it's brotherly, but it's not agape. Okay, and that's where we're called then to love and bless each other and share with each other and not expect anything in return. Verse nine, another command. You know, so he started out, you know, get yourself ready for prayers. Be loving deeply. Thirdly, be hospitable. So, folks, this is this is not entertainment. This is not, hey, John and Jen, come on over. We'll have a meal together. This, this is loving, literally, the love of strangers. Okay, those who suddenly appear in your midst. So for 250 years, at least, we know that the church met in homes. They didn't have church buildings. It wasn't until 280 AD that they, you know, that there was a building in a town called Dura Europos. That it, it was just a house, but it had been gutted. It was a big house, but it had been gutted and reinforced so that they could put more and more and more people into it for church. It was a building that was designated not as a residence, but as church. And they filled it with mosaics that glorified God. It's the first representation that a building had been designated as a gathering place exclusively. But you see, the, the problem is for 250 years, on the way to the gathering place, believers would pick up the hurt, the hungry, the blind, the, you know, the lame. They would, bring, they would bring them in and care for them in the fellowship. Okay? So hospitality was to be to strangers. Now missionaries, obviously, Peter's letter is being hand-carried town to town, village to village, as they move up the road from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. And those people would do, were doing the work of those carrying the gospel, carrying the message that Peter had preached. And they were unknown to the church when they walked into town. But, and they needed shelter, and they needed food. Paul also had encouraged and, and, and directly told people in Rome, okay, you practice hospitality. In his letter to 1 Timothy in chapter 5, he, he describes employing godly widows in the church of Ephesus to be hospitable. 
They had the room, and some of them had the resources. They could take in missionaries and care for them. Okay? And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, look, this hospitality, the loving of strangers, was a requirement of any who would see themselves, who aspired to become elders, presbyters, bishops, if you will, leaders in the church. Even in Hebrews 13, chapter 2, the writer of of Hebrews said, some had welcomed strangers to their house, not knowing that those strangers that they were hospitable to were angels. They were angels on assignment, in human form, there to encourage, there to minister, you know, etc. That's an amazing thing, okay? But for 250 years, there was that sense that when someone appeared at the door, bidden or unbidden, Peter's words, Paul's words were applied. It meant food. It meant a disruption to the household. It meant a bunch of laundry. And sometimes those people stayed too long. Okay? Now Peter says, but you do this without complaint. You don't expect reimbursement out of this. This is ministry. Now, for example, for the widows who didn't have the means, they had the space, but they didn't have the means. For the families who had space, but didn't have the means to provide for any visitors, strangers who appeared, that's the right place for the church to step in. That's the right place for the church to say, we're with you in this. In verse 10, Peter says now, okay, you're called to prayer, you're called to love, you're called to hospitality, and now you're called to use your gifts. All have received a gift. Each of you, each member of those house churches in Asia Minor, each of us, Scattered abroad, we have received a gift by Holy Spirit, and we're to use it to serve one another. Now, Peter Wagner, uh, still in the land of the living, a great teacher, encourager, leader, he says, quote, how is God motivating you to love one another? Question mark, unquote. See, when we stop and we say, well, God really gets in me and moves in me when I teach the scriptures or when I take a scripture and I go to my brother and I say, hey, you need to understand this. This, And you exhort them, you encourage them, or you remind them, okay? That just lets love flow. And then there are those who serve, who have compassion, who have mercy, who have a gift of helps just to come under and lift the situation or to organize things or to administer it by the power of Holy Spirit and you love one another through those service gifts. Okay, verse 11 says, those who are gifted to speak, and there ought to be a parenthesis here, because the text says, you, you, you speak the words of God. Ooh, that's, that's a sobering thing. Okay, so it may be better, better interpreted. You, you, for those who speak, take care, close paren, to speak God's words to speak God's revelations. If you're going to open your mouth and you have anything to say, you better have God on it. It really counts. And to those who serve, he says, do that, not in your strength, but in the strength that God supplies. And the result is, God is the one who gets glorified. God is the one who gets lifted up. 
your speech and your service points the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, to him. And it is also a witness to the watching world that as you speak and as you serve, God gets glorified. So Forge family and my brothers and sisters who are, who are out there listening, okay, I want you to hear this again. Each of us, number one, each of us must live as if the Lord is near. Because he is more near now than he was when the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter and Paul and James. He is near. So, as you start your day, let me urge you to be conscious and ready and eager to see him. That's not an automatic. That takes a little preparation. That takes an orderly, sober mind that says, oh yeah, so I'm not going to get all frustrated and fearful about this exam and about, well, i got to go shopping, but I don't have enough money to do all you know, The kinds of things that weigh on our minds, you clear that away and you go conscious and ready and eager to see him work in your day while we steward our gift right now. Second, we are urged by Peter and by the scriptures, by Holy Spirit, okay, we're urged and we're ordered to arm ourselves in faith for the purpose of prayer. And it's plural, prayers. It's not just a one-time shot. It's, it's constant, it's focused, it's energized, and it's designed to bring about phenomenal kingdom change. Okay, we're ordered to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We're ordered to be ready to open a refrigerator and our homes and our bedrooms and our wallets for strangers for the purpose of welcoming the servants of God and the strangers that God puts in our way. Okay, we're ordered and we're urged to speak as gifted by God. When you open your mouth, it better be God that comes out. Brothers who speak. When we serve, we serve as with the power of God and not with the expectation we get anything out of it. Okay, we serve by his power because it is God who gets the glory and God who gets praise and God who gets thanks and none other. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.